Good morning. Can you hear me? All right. There we go. I'm sorry. That was kind of loud. But um, yeah, if you would, thank you for being here. We know you could be a lot of other places. And thank you for tuning in as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to get your Bibles open or your Bible apps open, whatever the case might be. We are going to be looking at the book of Matthew for the next two Sundays, actually. We are going to be talking about mission and purpose and you will need your Bibles for that because that's where we're going to find it. Before I get there real quick, I, today we had like right after the service, we we're going to have uh, our merge, uh, but we're going to have to reschedule it. So I apologize if you came here thinking, okay, I'm going to get to hang out afterwards and kind of meet some of the staff and talk about that. Uh, we have to reschedule that and we will get back to you with a date for when that will be. Okay, so just sorry. Uh, thank you for your patience with us on that. But hopefully between those of you here, those of you who are tuning uh, online, you are at your table of contents. You've got your Bible apps open. You're wondering, okay, what's the book going to be? I'm going to ask you to turn and we'll find in your table of contents the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And whatever page that corresponds to, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22 and 28. Those are going to be the two places that we will be this morning. And what we're talking about today is we're talking about purpose. Do you know what your purpose is? I mean, do you know why you're here? Why you still, why your lungs are still breathing and your heart's beating? That's a question that has been asked from the day, first day uh, and will be asked to the last day. It's something that drives us. It's something that has created um, business and industry and profession is what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And a lot of times we ask that question and we go and we look in different places and we're, we're confused, we're frustrated because it, we just, we're like a puzzle piece and we, just, we know that there's a puzzle out there that, that my skills and my passions, my experiences, my desires fit just right. And so, it becomes this kind of frustrated uh, experience of trying to find that. Well, this morning, my friends, you're going to find your purpose. You will leave here today knowing what your purpose in life is. And why am I confident in saying that? Well, because anything or, or, or when you have something, you're trying to figure out what is its purpose, what do you do? You go back to the originator, the inventor, the author, the designer, the creator, because they know exactly why that piece that you hold in your hands is important and where it fits. Unless, unless you have IKEA instructions. That, that, that does not apply if you've ever tried to put anything together with IKEA instructions. Anyways, um, so if we really want to know our purpose, I'm going to suggest to you that you will not find a better place than going back to the one who created you and who sustains you right now. And he has given us something vastly superior to the Ikea instructions. You can actually read them. There are words. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Now, when I talk about purpose, most of you think very specifically most of you want to know something about purpose, and, and I'm going to share with you today something you need to know about purpose. 
What we want to know about purpose is what's called kind of our, our micro purpose. Because when you really ask the question, what is my purpose? There's really two dimensions to that answer. There's a wide angle uh, answer, and then there's a telephoto one. We focus on the telephoto one. We, we want to know, okay, what industry, what job, where should I live? What opportunities should I take in light of my purpose in life? And, and I'm going to strongly encourage you to understand that you will never know your micro purpose unless you know your macro purpose, your wide angle purpose. It just isn't going to happen. And we're going to focus today on, on your macro purpose. Because once you know your macro purpose, then what you can do is then you can examine and explore your passions um, and your, uh, your proclivities and your opportunities and your strengths and your skills and your experiences and your opportunities. And you can bring all that together. And my friends, you will be that puzzle piece and it will fit just right. You see, not all of us are the straight edge pieces, which are very easy. A lot of times we're the jagged ones. And we almost fit, but we don't exactly fit. And so then we try something else. Not today. Today we are going to talk about your macro purpose in life because if you don't know it and understand it and realize it, you will not find your micro purpose. It just won't happen. So we are going to use Matthew chapter 22 and Matthew chapter 28, the words of Jesus himself, and what I hope will be um, good teaching to bring out in you and in me that question that has been asked and will continue to be asked, what is my purpose? So with that in mind, let's start with Matthew chapter 22. I want you to look at, we're going to look at verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, now both Pharisees and Sadducees were professional religious people. The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. And so prior to what we're reading, Jesus debated and engaged with the Sadducees. And the Pharisees kind of heard of that. And they said, okay, now it's our turn. So verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. So what I just read to you, I want you to think of it in this way. Well, let me ask you, by a show of hands, now let's just put HIPAA aside for a minute here. By a show of hands, how many of you ever had an MRI? Raise your hand. Don't be bashful. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I've had an MRI too as well, right? It's not something you went, oh, yippee, let's go get an MRI, right? More than likely, the reason you got an MRI was because something wasn't working. And it wasn't obvious to the outside, so it's, we got to look inside. So we go, and we're, we're just asking this, this machine to please show me how healthy I am or how, how healthy I'm not so that I can move forward, right? Well, what I just read to you, I want you to think of it as a spiritual MRI, because it is, it's, it's part A of your macro purpose. It's what is affectionately known as the great commandment. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, who were the experts in the law, they were trying to boil the law down. I mean, who wouldn't, right? We like to take and distill a lot of information down to something very easy to remember. And so they asked Jesus, they said, of all the law and the prophets, of all the Old Testament, what, what, what are the most important commands? What's the most important command? And Jesus lays 
two of them out that are majestic. They are lofty in our reach of them. And Jesus first says, love God with all your heart, your mind, strength, and your soul. I think I'm adding from another. There's three here. There's four in the other gospels. He is saying, love God more than you love anything else. And if you remember, we, there's, a, there's a, a passage of scripture that we've read before that when you first read it, you're like, Jesus really said that? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is teaching hate. Really? Well, if we don't understand kind of the Greek idiom of the day, um, Jesus was using what was customary for them, which sounds a little hard for us. What he was saying was, is he was saying, if you want to follow me, then you need to love me in such a way and be devoted to me in such a way that whatever is second best to you looks almost as if when you compare the two that you hate them. And so I guess I'm asking you, and I'm talking to Christ followers here for a moment. Do you love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength? Or are you like me? And at times there's these other loves that sometimes try to supplant God and Jesus in my life. There are these other things and, and unless we're able to push them aside and push them out of the way, unless we're really able to, to love God with everything, I mean, just think about that. I guess I'm, I'm asking you, is or does that describe your relationship with God? Is there that, that love that says there's nothing even close? There's nothing even second. It's first and last. Because un unless we love God in that way, we will not find our micro purpose. And so just be honest. I mean, this is that spiritual MRI I'm talking about, right? What are you doing to stir up affection for God in your life? What are you doing to stir up that passion that's pushing you deeper into that relation, your relationship with God that's, that's, that's allowing you to trust more? What is, what's happening in there? I mean, we, we, can, we can, when we worship I mean, I don't know, some of you probably, as we were just singing, you were kind of like going, come on, let's get past this, you know? Um, or you were just singing and, and the words were just kind of mindlessly rolling, kind of like a Rolodex in your mind, but, but there was, you, weren't, you weren't savoring them. You really weren't singing them back to God. You, you weren't thinking about what am I singing? There was no connection between your heart and, and the words you were singing. But when we worship, and I'm really engaging worship, our, our affection for God can grow. I mean, that happens in, in prayer when we're really just talking to God, not like good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. I mean, not that kind of thing, right? It's where we're, we're talking to him, just like we talk to other people. God says, talk to me. And when you're doing that, realizing you're talking to the creator of all you see, to the sustainer who keeps your heart beating and your lungs breathing, that your affection for God can swell up inside of you. The same with reading your Bible and other things like that. But it's not just doing those things. Here's where I have to really, I mean, I, I love doing those things, and I, and I, I practice those things regularly, and I've, and I've developed that over the many years that I've um, been doing that. 
where I have to really protect my love for God is I have to keep the other loves. Simmer down now is what I got to say to them. Because they're just, they just want my attention and my affection. And sometimes I, my happiness kind of gets swings over onto them and not my relationship with God. And the only way I know to love God the way that he's, Jesus is teaching is you have to push away those things that compete. One of the most controversial things I've said, I think, I would guess, uh, as, as the pastor of this church, is that I have said before, and I, and I stand by it because, and I, honestly, I say it out of, out of really true concern and love for my church family. And that is that some of you do not have the spiritual horsepower to have vacation homes, to uh, have trailers, to, to take off the whole summer and not be engaged in your church family. You don't have the spiritual maturity for that. And what happens is you get drawn away, pulled away, and it impacts you adversely. And I don't want to see that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for your children. I don't want that for the kingdom. And so what we've got to really fight sometimes is we have to push away those other loves that we have to really love God the way that he wants us to love him. But then secondly, he says, we've got to love people. And not just people, but all people. Jesus teaches that we're to love our enemies. Can anybody do that? I mean, sometimes you have... You have a hard time loving your children, don't you? I mean, they like, ugh. But Jesus, I mean, this is like Phi Beta Kappa stuff. This is like when you think you've made it, when you think like Jesus is probably looking at you going, you're good, man. You're one of my best, right? Just start thinking, can you love your enemies? I mean, people who hate you. People who wish bad for you. Because it's not until we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's not until we love people, all people, like we love ourselves, that we'll ever find our, our purpose. It just isn't going to happen. I assure you, if you're going to God, God, please, I really want to know why you made me. Thank you for making me. I have all these desires and skills and experiences and proclivities. Please, sh show me. God's going to go, uh, hold on. Love me first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love all people like you love yourself. Let's start there. God, God's not gonna go around his word. And we have here this great commandment. And the question is, well, how do we love people like that? Well, my friends, if, if it will help you greatly to visit your brokenness and for me to visit my brokenness and, and have regular confession, when we go before God and we confess, right, the things that we've said, not said, thought, not thought, did, didn't do, regular and we go to him God I'm sorry I don't know why I didn't do it and and we and we get back you're forgiven you've been forgiven I love you thank you for valuing this relationship enough to tell me those things and I've empowered you and let's go do it right this time you know until you've really experienced that in a very personal way I mean it's hard to love people that don't like you but when you know you've been loved irresistibly by a God that you hated at one time, that you regularly and I regularly disobey, even knowing what he's done for us, when you experience and personalize that, then there's hope to love in the way that we're called to love. And, and that is macro purpose part A, which gets us closer to that micro purpose, which really is that puzzle piece that we really want to fit. So... 
We have macro purpose part A. Let's look at macro purpose part B, and I'm going to ask you to do that. Turn a few pages over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So just a moment ago, Jesus said to those who were trying to trick him, but knowing that there were others that really wanted to know, what does it mean to really follow you, Jesus? What does it mean to really obey? What does it really mean to understand why I'm here? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we have the great commandment. So if we obey the great commandment, man, we're halfway there. Now we get to what's called the Great Commission. And this is Jesus's, it's not an invitation. My friends, this is a command. We are commanded to go, therefore go, to all nations. I suspect that we don't have a problem when we see the Bible say, hey, don't lie. We understand that's a command, and so we do everything we can not to lie. And when we lie, we ask for forgiveness. I, I suspect that we, we very clearly understand when the Bible says don't murder, we're like, okay, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. When we know that we're told to pray, we, 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 yes, okay, God, I'm not going to withhold that. Yes, I'm going to pray. But somehow we take this command to go and we slide it off as if it's a recommendation or a suggestion or if you get around to it, or if you're one of those kinds of people, or if you have the time. My friends, that's not it. This command is as much a command as the others I just mentioned and every other one that we have. We cannot dismiss this one. And if we do dismiss this, if we blow it off, then we will miss the purpose for which we exist. And Jesus introduces this great commission when he says, all authority has been given to me. Does Jesus have that kind of authority in your life? Does he have that kind of authority in my life? I mean, I've been really weighing that. I've been really thinking about that. I've been trying to think, okay, God, where, where do I think I have the remote? Where do I think it's up to me and what I want to do regardless of what your word says? Jesus, where are you not really an authority? You, you might be a counselor. You might be a coach. But where are you not authority in my life? Where is he not authority in your life? Because we have here, Jesus is saying, because of his resurrection, he says, all authority has been given to me. And what authority does is authority becomes the fuel, my friends. Jesus' authority becomes the fuel for this mission. You, you think about, you've heard some of the missionaries. I'm sure you've heard some missionary stories where they face death. They face persecution and they stand there. They don't, they don't shrink back. And you wonder, how in the world are they doing that? Well, what they understand and what I need to understand better is that Jesus has authority not only in my life, but in anybody else's life who could hurt me or threaten me or come against me, he has authority in their lives as well. 
And to the extent that they come against me, Jesus is allowing that. And he's allowing it for my good, for my growth, for my trust in him, for my witness and testimony to them. And I, I don't know that's how we see that all the time. I, I don't know that we're mindful that we have, we shrink back, we're afraid of this mission. Do we understand all authority in heaven and on earth is in Christ. And because of that, he says, go, therefore. Because of the authority I have, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you on a mission. We're on a mission. And, and what we've done in, in, in America, at least, in, in American Christianity, we have seen Christianity devolve, as I said, it's devolved into private personal devotion. We're just gonna make sure we're right with God that we're, we're praying and we're going to church and, and, and we're working on our, our shortcomings and, and, and we wanna honor him and we're praying and we're talking to him, but it's in this personal private devotion. But following Jesus isn't less than that, but it's much more than that. He sends us out. It's public ministry. And if you try to separate that, you will not find that in the scriptures. There is no teaching in here at all where you can safely say to Jesus when you stand before him, well, I really was devoted to you and I said my prayers and I went to church. But did you God in my name with my authority? Why didn't you? It's just inconsistent. Like I said, we would not ignore God's commands in other ways. Why do we ignore this one? I, I know why we don't go. I, I, I guess I'm, you know, you turn 59, you can say this now. Well, I've been around long enough. I've seen enough in myself and other people. I, I tell you why we shrink back from this. And we shrink back from this. Make no mistake about it. I'm thankful that the early church did not shrink back because, because of the early church, somehow, some way, through great persecution, through great suffering, through great endurance, as a freshman in college at Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas, somebody told me about Jesus. And I accepted him. And I, and I, and I, I, I took what he did for me, and it changed my life dramatically. And I found purpose and meaning in my life. All the way from Jerusalem, the birthplace of Christianity, to College Station, Texas. That's a long way to go. So it's working. And it started with 11, 11 disciples. And if 11 can work in such a way and be empowered in such a way that Christianity gets out and is as far as it is, I think we can do it. I think we need to do it. I think we should do it. But we shrink back from it. I'll say to the younger people in here, I think the reason they shrink back is because you've been raised in this culture, in this, um, our society that does not value absolute truth. It's you do you, I'll do me. You believe what you believe, I'll believe what I wanna believe. And so this idea that Jesus is, and I'll quote him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is not a popular message. And to take that and to begin to, to, to explain that and, and, and proclaim that is lunacy. And so I think the younger people shrink back from that. 
because their peers would look at them like, you're crazy. Let's go to the other side, the older ones. I'll lump myself in there. The retirees, let's just go there. There's a sense in, in, there, in our culture, there is a message, there's a narrative out there that says, when you retire, you have earned and you deserve to be comfortable. Now, right off into the sunset, go get your RV and, and, and just travel across the United States. Go find your vacation home in Arizona, wherever it might be. And you just go, you play golf four or five times a week and you just enjoy the, the waning years of your life because you deserve it. My friends, that's a lie. It is a lie. And I know it's not popular for me to say that. And, and believe me, re, you know, retirement's on my radar. So I, I got to look at that. You have more time. You're not finished. If your heart's beating and your lungs are breathing, you're not finished. We're on a mission. Now, what about the in-between? You're not young. You're not old. You're in the middle. Why do you shrink back? Because it's in that time where it's your greatest years of your earning potential. It's where you want to consume things and experiences and enjoy them because you know you're going to get old one day and your opportunities will narrow and you'll, you'll miss out and not get to do anything like you used to do. And so it's, man, it's just, I just got to get it all in. And so you're distracted. There's no really looking and realizing and being aware that you're on a mission. Our prosperity in our country is a blessing from God, but Satan has used it well as a curse to make us want to consume and be comfortable and, and, and step back and be afraid. And, and, and that is where we are right now, I, I think, generally speaking. We being the church, capital C Church. And I suspect that some of you, some of you Christians are bored I, I, I'm almost certain of it, that some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while and you're, bo you're bored right now. Your mind's kind of going in and out of what I'm saying. And you're bored. I've been bored before too. I've been bored. Now your boredom, I know in some cases, I know who's getting the blame for that. Not all the time, but I know sometimes. Do you know who's getting the blame for that? Because you're saying, I just, I'm not connecting with the teaching anymore. I think he needs to go deeper. My friends, if you are bored as a follower of Jesus, then you're not doing Christianity right. You're, you're missing it. It means you're not on this incredible mission. You see what happens when you step outside of your comfort zone, when I step outside of my comfort zone, and when we realize we're really on a mission, where we've truly given our lives up to the mission, when we are living that way and when we step out and we share our faith and we see someone actually start to get it a little bit, or when we courageously stand up for something that's wrong, injustice, and say, that's wrong, and not worry about the outcome, man, your heart begins to swell. You, you, it's something amazing. The Spirit of God is working inside of you. And, and I'm telling you, that, that affection for him grows and it swells inside. And that is how a relationship with God works. Unless you're not on a mission. And if you're not obeying the great commandment, and if you're not joining and participating in the great commission, my friends, you will not find why you're here. That is why you're here. Now, I'll come back to that 
in just a moment, but there are ways that you can go. He's saying, therefore, go. Life is a mission. You can go, you can do prayer walking. You could leave today and go and start walking around your neighborhood and just praying for the homes that the, that the truth and the hope and the love of Jesus would make its way in that home, that marriages would be reconciled, that children would be raised in a godly home. You could pray that. And as people come out, you could just say, hi, I'm, I'm praying for my neighborhood. How can I pray for you? My friends, that's low-hanging fruit right there. You can do that. And who knows where God will take that? But I know, I tell you what it'll do to you. Your heart's gonna begin to swell. You know you're doing what you were made to do, what you were created to do. And it will give you a spiritual energy and a momentum that'll just keep moving you forward. But if you shrink back, never happen. You can talk about Jesus at work. You can talk about it at school. You can talk with your neighbors. You can start spiritual conversations. You can go on a short-term mission trip. You can become a long-term missionary. There are some of you in here, maybe God is calling you and he's prompting you and he's saying, I need you there. I need you to give up everything here, kind of like the Bernards did. And, they're, they're, you know, and they spent time in Ethiopia and in um, the United Arab Emirates because they were needed there. And, and some of you in here, God is, that's, that's your purpose. Listen for it. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor, everybody as yourself. Join and participate in this great commission. Realize I'm here to do something for the glory of God and just see what God does with that. I'm, I'm excited that at High Point now, because the restrictions are lifted, because we've hired someone who's full-time over our, our, our mission work, we're gonna begin, we're looking, we're examining, we're exploring to re-engage in that way. And I am so excited and so thankful to God for that. And then as we continue in this great commission, he says, make disciples. I mean, simply put, that's your purpose. That's my purpose. We are to make followers of Jesus. That's part of our AIM statement. AIM is aiming to know Jesus and make him known. A is activate your faith. Are you living a life in which your faith is really active? You gotta ask yourself that. I is impact your world. Are you making a difference? If someone pulled you out of where you are, would people go, hey, I miss him. I miss her. And then M is multiply disciples of Jesus. Are you using what you have to multiply disciples of Jesus? And ground zero for that mom and dad is in your home. That's what ground zero is. It's not kid zone, it's not student ministry. It's you, mom and dad, ground zero. You will be their greatest teacher by far for good or for bad. They need to see you loving God with all you got. There's no close second. Loving other people, all people, on mission, making disciples of them so that they then will know what a disciple is and can become a disciple themselves and then can multiply and add to the process. You'll see in the Bible, there's a thread of going out. Genesis chapter one, God told Adam and Eve, multiply, go out, subdue, rule the earth. They were sent out. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God makes his covenant with Abraham. He says, you're gonna bless all nations. And then we have here Matthew chapter 28, the thread of going out has always been there and always will be until Jesus returns. And if we don't realize we're a part of that, we will miss our purpose. And he says, 
all nations. We might think that that's of the, what, 200 nations that are in the world roughly? That if, as, long as, as soon as we get a church in every one of those countries, we're good. And Jesus actually says, I'm not coming back. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, I am not coming back until the gospel, the message of Christ gets out to all nations. I wish it was 200 countries. That'd be great because that make the job a lot easier than it actually is right now. But by all nations, he means all people groups. And by all people groups, he means people who are uniquely identified by their culture and by their language. You can have a nation with hundreds of people groups within that nation. And Jesus is sending us out to the people groups. And of those 7.8 billion people in the world, about 3.4 billion are considered to be unreached. That's an amazing number. Which means that there is zero Christian influence in their vicinity. In any way, it's coming externally. It's not, there's, not a, there's not a church in there where they're sending people out. That's challenging. We've been called to go out and to reach all people groups. The church, the capital C church. A couple of websites that I'll just, the Global Frontier Missions, if you just Google Global Frontier Missions and you Google Joshua Project, those are two really helpful uh, websites that's, that, that really um, will help you know who those unreached people groups are and their ministry uh, in terms of how you can help and how you can be a part of making a dent in the 7,000 unreached people groups that still exist. But all that to say is the mission that that we're on, that we've been commanded to be on, we've got to think globally. We've got to think globally. We'll talk more about that next week. Let me finish with this incredible uh, promise that we have in light of this mission. What does he says? Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. My friends, we are not alone in this mission. We are not alone at all. You'll never be alone. You'll never be empty-handed in this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is telling his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the power that you're receiving is so you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Jesus knew this mission was an amazing mission. It was a challenging mission. It was a supernatural one. And he says, you will be supernaturally endowed and empowered with the Spirit of God. Have you ever experienced that when you've been sharing your faith? That, that God just is giving you the words. He's, he's, he's giving you the, the, the boldness. You're seeing in somebody else, it's, 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 there's some traction. I'm telling you, your heart's gonna swell with the affection of God for that. And that's just how Christianity works. And we have this promise that God will be with us, who is sovereign and has authority over all who we go to. I was reading Randy Alcorn's um, blog, and he, he posted a, of this pastor, a Romanian pastor, who was um, a very prominent pastor during, uh, in communist Romania, and he was proclaiming the gospel, and he kept getting arrested, and he kept getting interrogated, he kept getting uh, persecuted. And um, Randy Alcorn interviewed him, and I was captivated by, his name is Joseph Son, I think, if I'm saying that right. Let me just give you a quick snippet as Randy Alcorn was talking to him and his experiences. 
He said to one of his interrogators, he said, quote, what is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sirs, that you will do to me only what God wants you to do, and you will go not one inch further. Because you are only an instrument of my God. Every day I saw those, and he's talking about his guards, I, every day I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets, he says. And then a little bit later, he says, during, during an early interrogation, I, had, I told an officer who was threatening to kill me, he said. And in the face of someone who's threatening to kill him, he says, sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching, and everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I'd better listen again to this to what this man has preached because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak 10 times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, we know that Mr. Son would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remembered how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I'd kept a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I had found it. A few years later, they exiled him. I hear that, and, and that, that, that wrecks me. Because I think of how I have shrunk back. And I think of when he describes this life that he found in that. My friends, we're, we're going to find life. We're going to find our purpose when we're on mission. And what happens is when you begin to obey the great commandment and you join and participate in the great commission, here's what happens. You then can hone in on what you're passionate about. You can hone in on your experiences, your skills, your expertise, your past um, opportunities and present opportunities and, and people's referrals and, and comments. And, and you can hone all that in and you can find as a puzzle piece exactly where you fit. Because where you fit is where God will have you loving him like you love nobody else, loving everyone around you as if they were you, and then sharing with them what you've come to know of the Jesus that loves you. That's exactly where he wants you. And until you know your macro purpose and I know my macro purpose, we'll never ever find our micro purpose. So my challenge for us this week is that spiritual MRI that I spoke of, assess your spiritual health and really ask yourself, am I truly loving God second to none? Does anything else that I love or anyone else that I love, does it look like it's just like, like I hate them when you compare it to my love for God? And then pray. Pray for the message of Christ to get out. 
We've got some names on the wall back there of our relationship. Pray for those people. You can go to the Joshua Project, like I said, or, or to go to the Unreached People Group uh, website that I mentioned, um, and, and you can begin praying for them and see what God does, what he stirs up inside of you. We're, we're currently working on, our, on relationships and partnerships that we want to now kind of jump forward in. We would covet your prayers for that. You can give your money that God has given you, that you thought, you know what, I'm going to use this so I can consume more, so I can experience more, so people will think better of me. Or so I can have a bigger nest egg. I'm, I'm going to put my money there. My friends, don't do that. Don't, don't invest so poorly. Make an investment in eternity. Invest in the places and the people and the organizations that are really seeking on mission to reach all people with the love of God. And then lastly is determine what your goal looks like. What does your goal look like? Is it prayer walking? Is it a mission trip? Is it going into your to your neighbor's house? Is it going, talking to people at work, at school, on the playground? What, just determine, what is my go? Because I've got to go. I've got to figure out what it is. And then go and just see what God does with that, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for your patience and your mercy. God, I thank you for your patience with me most of all. May we not shrink back. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to your son, now may we go, not in our authority, but yours, knowing that we're empowered to do great things for your glory, Lord God. And I pray you'll stir in our hearts what our go is in Jesus' name. Amen. Come ye sinners. Born needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, and Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity.
excited we're having our kids come in uh, today's baptism day we had a handful of baptisms in the first service we have a husband and wife getting baptized here in the second service which is very exciting uh, so you understand baptism some of you were maybe baptized as an infant <clears throat> I was baptized as an infant and uh, certainly we didn't have a whole lot of say in that did we uh, our parents did but it was a very important part of maybe our faith story and faith journey and so we believe from the teaching in the New Testament that baptism is something that each individual makes that decision in and of themselves. They understand what baptism is about. And so that's what we do. When someone wants to get baptized, we sit down, we talk with them, and we, we make sure that they understand what they're wanting to do. And, and at a certain age, even the kids can kind of understand, hey, I, I've disobeyed mom and dad, and I know that's hurt God, and I don't want to hurt God. And I know that I need forgiveness for that. I know that Jesus was the way. For that forgiveness and so we'll have some younger uh, in, in the first service we had a few younger kids as well too but not today today or this service today we have like i said a husband and wife and so what i'm going to do is we're going to baptize them i'm super excited to do that and we want to celebrate and we want to worship god in that so as we're baptizing them and you want to clap for them which please do we're, we are applauding the work of god in them that he gets the glory and we get to see this and and, and added to the faith there are more people and added to the mission for more people. So let's continue to worship God through baptism. Who wants to go first? Rachel. Rachel's going to go first. Okay. <laughs> Come on up here, Rachel. Yeah, walk up in there. I'm going to tell you the water's super cold, so it's probably not as cold as Actually, I said it is. Oh, you're right? Okay, very good. So come here and have a seat down here. So um, I, let me just briefly, Rachel and Eddie, um, they, were in a, they were in a dark place in their marriage, and they knew to turn to Christ, and, they, and they, they, we had a chance to, to talk with them, and, and God's just been doing amazing work of reconciliation in the two of you, and what better way to celebrate that than, than through baptism, through a rededication for Rachel and 
this will be the first time for you, which is a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to do that. Thank you for your courage and your faithfulness in this. So it's with great joy, Rachel, I ask you, do you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Wonderful. Hold on my arm right there. Then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the death. Rise to walk in newness of life. both talked about this beforehand. Don't be alarmed. I've got to hold them down here for a while. Okay. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sure. It, it is a privilege. It really is. Um, so thankful to be a part of this. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. Are you the man? Hold my forearm here, big boy. Then I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the death. Lies to walk in the of Okay, well, I, I no, it's not a better way to finish the service on that, but I do need to pray you out of here and let you know that in the back, part of offering or part of worship is offering, is giving back to God from our stuff. So you can do that on the way uh, out on those, in the boxes. You can do it electronically. Those of you who are watching online, you can do that as well. But let me pray us out of here, okay? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day. We thank you for all that you've given us, God. In our treasure, Lord, may we give back to you in a way that really reflects that our God is not our money, it is you. May you use it so that the mission continues. And we see people being baptized just like we saw Rachel and Eddie, Lord God. We thank you for that. We pray your blessing as we leave, that we would be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>